Amen. Thank you for that praise team. We appreciate that this morning. Thank you for bringing us worship and song. Well, it's good to have you here today in God's house. We're glad that you're here with us to worship and to look into God's Word. I want you to take your Bibles today to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Over the next few weeks, I'm just going to be doing some hodgepodge of sermons that over the last year in my study of Hebrews, I've just had some reflective thoughts and I always like to do that at the end of a series. So I'm so glad to be done with Hebrews that I'm just excited about a simple kind of message today. And I want to uh, just give you a challenge from God's Word here in 1 Samuel 16. I've entitled this message, Finding God's Pace, Finding God's Pace. So as you find your place in your Bible, let me mention two, um, one of our missionaries, Roger, and you know Daryl Burnett uh, in Mozambique. Daryl's moved up to Uganda, but he just flew down to Mozambique because a cyclone came through the whole island and destroyed the island, destroyed every roof in the entire island, massive flooding, all kinds of horrific conditions right now. Roger and Darrow are there trying to salvage what they can out of the hotel that they use for outreach in that area. And so I want you to pray for that and just lift that up before the Lord if you hadn't heard about that, but I want, I want to make you aware of that. Um, we haven't really set up any kind of relief fund uh, with that. We don't really, really even know the needs yet, but we'll, we'll keep you in touch about that. And then we've got a special opportunity too, I want to mention uh, publicly, and that is April 6th, which is a Wednesday night which um, we have North Carolina Values Coalition. We had them a year ago come to our church, and they're coming back through town. They're going to be in Charlotte, Raleigh, and here in the Triad at Triad Baptist Church on April 6th, Wednesday night. Uh, they're going to do a Mama Bear and Papa Bear seminar, learn how to identify and combat harmful content in your child's school. We're going to bring a lawyer in from uh, defending the Alliance Defending Freedom out of Georgia, and others that are going to talk about uh, what's happening in the public schools, how do you know your parental rights, um, implications, all kinds of things that are really cool around this topic uh, for the public schools. So if you do have your child in a public school and be interested, this is also he's going, to, he's going to touch on other things too, like Christian schools and homeschooling as well. But uh, I don't have time to get all that out. But I want to invite you to come to that. That's going to be a special seminar April 6th with speakers from all over, really, the East Coast that'll be there on that evening. So you're welcome to come. There's no charge for the event. But I think it's a wonderful thing. I love North Carolina Values Coalition, and I love what they're doing. So that's a great uh, opportunity for us. Okay, First Samuel chapter 16. Stand with me now. I'm going to read God's Word. I'll probably read the whole chapter just to prepare us for the whole context. <clears throat> Verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since seeing that I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, how can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me the one whom I've designated to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And the elder of the city came trembling to meet him and said, Do you come in peace? He said, In peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they entered, they looked. When they entered, Samuel looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as a man sees. 
For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, that's not the Lord's chosen one. Next, Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are these all your children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, and behold, he is attending sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went to Ramah. You may be seated. I've entitled this message, Finding God's Pace. Samuel is in an awkward position at this point in his life. He is in a very awkward position because he is hinged between what was and what shall be. He has just anointed, well, years ago he has anointed Saul to be the king in the early days of Israel. But Saul grew worse and worse and worse in his life. He began to backslide away from God. And so God told Samuel, Samuel, I've rejected Saul. I'm done with him. He will no longer be king over Israel. So here in the text, we find that Samuel's still weeping about this. He's still crying over the loss of Saul. He was close to Saul. He was the first king of Israel. And so he's weeping because God's rejected him. God comes to him with a question. He says, why do you weep over what I've rejected? Why do you weep over what I've rejected? God gets upset when we try to make live what he is trying to kill. When we try to maintain things that are not in his will for us to have, And we get obstinate. We get set in our way. And so we grieve over it. We go over it and over it and over it in our mind. And again and again and again. And God says, I want that killed in your life. I want to talk to you about that today because God is teaching Samuel how to move on in his life. And how to find God's pace. So that's my passion today. Just a simple little outline that I put together on this. How do you find God's pace? All right, I'm going to jump right in with the time that I have. And I may take more time than I have. So I'm looking at that clock. I knew that communion would go a little longer. Number one, don't linger where God has left. Don't linger where God has left. He says to Samuel in verse 1, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? I got stuck on that one little question, and so I'm going to make that a point, all right? Don't linger where God has left. He's saying to Samuel, I'm changing course. I'm going in a new direction. And I need you to be in agreement with me, Samuel, as we move forward. I don't want your emotions all tied up in the past and what I did with Saul in the past. I've rejected him. I don't want your emotions tied up in that anymore. You have to have my pace. 
I'm done with him. It was sudden. It was abrupt. But Samuel, Samuel was lingering where God had left. I want you to learn this about God. It's a principle, and I'd like you to lock it into your heart because it's a very important principle. I could go on with 15 illustrations from the Bible on this. I'm going to do a few because I think it's important to give it to you. When it comes to God pronouncing judgment on something, death comes slowly. Adam and Eve. The day you eat of the fruit of the knowledge of the good and evil, you shall surely die. So they went and they ate of the fruit, and <laughs> we didn't die. We're not dead. We still look the same, we still act the same. We're not dead. Because in their hearts, they thought, we got lots of time. But the truth of the matter is, most Americans live this way. They live as if God's word is not going to come true in their life. But once God says a thing, it may take time for it to manifest, but I'm telling you, it's as good as done when he said it. It's as good as done when he said it. All right, let me illustrate that. I'm not much of a gardener, but the day you cut a rose, I know some of you hate that, that's why I'm doing that. You're, you're gardeners and you love this stuff, but look at that. The day you cut a rose, it's dead. It may not look dead. There may still be a bud on it, and by the way, tomorrow that could still bud, but it's dead. It's dead right now. Though it doesn't look dead, it's dead. The day you cut it from the source, it's dead. God said there may be some things in your life that don't look dead, but God says, I've declared they're dead. I want you to hold on to that. I want you to stay with that thought, okay? The day you cut the rose, it's dead. The moment you snatched it, it was already dead. Adam and Eve, the day... The day you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. <laughs> they don't look dead. They're still walking around. God says, but you shall surely die. On the day you do that. Jesus cursed the fig tree. The disciples was there. They went into the city. They looked at the fig tree. He cursed it. The leaves were still blowing. The tree looked beautiful. It didn't look like anything was wrong with it. They went into the city. When they came out of the city, they looked over, and there was the fig tree, and it was completely withered of all its leaves, and it was dead. And I want you to understand this about God. There is always a period of time between when he declares something and when it happens. God says something and it doesn't happen right away. But if you just wait a little while, <laughs> I promise you this, everything God said will come to pass. The Bible says, without Jesus Christ, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are dead. You may not look dead. You may not feel dead. But the truth of the matter is, you are a walking dead man. <laughs> 
You're vibrant, you laugh, you cry, you've got passion, you've got everything everybody else says, and you may look at yourself and say, I'm not dead. God says you're dead. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. And there's a, a, a truth to that. I was thinking of Ephesians 2.1 on that verse. You may still bud, you may still blossom, you may still be green, but you're dead. You're dead. God says, it's done. You're dead. You say, what hopes for me? He says, you hath he quickened in Jesus Christ, hath he made alive you who are dead in your trespasses. The only hope you got, according to the word of God, is Jesus Christ being the substitute and payment for your sin. That's it. That's the only hope you have. You cry out for the mercy of God, you repent of your sin, and you claim Jesus Christ. That's your only hope. That's the only way to be made alive. And the Bible says, by the way, do it today. Don't put it off. The longer you put it off, the harder and harder you get. Sin will just harden you over time. And so it will harden you to the point where you'll say, ah, I don't want to do anything about it. And God says, do it today. Don't harden your heart. Now, let's take that back to the text. God rejected Saul, but he's still in office. He's still the king. He's still making the shots. He's the boss, and he's making all the laws. But God says he's dead. God says the rose has been snatched. He's done. He's rejected. Saul is done, Samuel. Stop weeping anymore. I have rejected him. Now, let's put a little application to that, okay? Because I want you to get this in your heart. There are some things in your past God has brought to an end. He said it is finished. It's over. It's done. Depression, it's over. Uh, uh, anger, it's over. Defeatism, it's over. Hostility, it's over. Now, listen. It may still try to operate in your life. It may still try to take over in your life. It may still be sitting on the throne of your life. But God says it's dead. It's dead. It's over. It's finished. Well, wait a minute. It's talking to me. Yeah, it still may be talking to you, but it's finished. Well, it's walking with me. It's arguing with me. God says it's dead. God says it's dead. It's over. It's done. No matter if it's talking to you or arguing with you, God says it's just a matter of time. It's dead. God says, you will see what the word of Jesus can do. Just give it time. Samuel, why do you weep? I'm done. I'm through. Now, lots of illustrations are coming to my head. Cain. He looked at Cain after he cursed Cain, and he said, the ground shall not yield for you. You can go out and dig and chop and plant and water. Do whatever you want to do on the ground, Cain. Nothing's coming forth for you. Nothing ever again, Cain. Touch anything you want. You'll never get a fruit. You'll never get a vine. You'll never get a plant. You'll never get anything because it is done. This is how God works. This is how God works. Now, I'm here to declare to you today what the devil used to be able to do in your life. God said, He's done. He's done. 
He's done. He may dig in your life. He may plant in your life. He may try to water in your life. He may give you flashbacks in your life. But God says, when I reject something, it's done. It's finished. Stop wrestling over it. Stop crying over it. Stop worrying over it. Stop tossing to and fro. Stop waking up in the middle of the night. The reign of the enemy is over in your life. It's dead. Some of you have a hard time believing that. It doesn't feel dead, Pastor Rob. It feels like it's still coming at me. But it is over. Who you were, what you were, where you were, it's done. It's finished. Let me say it this way so you won't forget, okay? Ding dong, the witch is dead. That's a way to remember that one. Ding dong, the witch is dead. That's such a beautiful thought, isn't it? It was a long time before Saul fell and died on the battlefield. It was a long time before he fell. And it was a long time before it was manifested on the earth. But when God declared it in heaven, Saul was dead before he fell. He was dead before he fell. Dave Grachowski in our church got a rare deadly cancer. He went through several rounds of chemo treatments. They did the first scan report after nine weeks. The doctor looked at him and said, I'm totally shocked by these reports. She said to him, your cancer has dried up. It's gone. Ding dong, the witch is dead. It's gone. You say, oh, but Pastor Rob, it could come back tomorrow. What are you doing that for? Take no thought for tomorrow. I don't care if you got cancer or don't got cancer. Don't take any thought for tomorrow. What are you worrying about tomorrow for? Today, the king, the witch is dead. Ding dong, the witch is dead. You only got today to celebrate. Dave may live a whole lot longer than you. You go out here, hit a car, and you're done. That's a terrible thought, isn't it? But that's the truth of the matter. You don't know what you got for tomorrow, whether you got cancer or don't have cancer. He says, you take the day you got and you live it to the most that you can with the day you have. That's it. That's it. It's dead. It's dead. Now, if you don't get anything, if you don't get anything else, get that, okay? There are things that have operated in your past that God has rejected and says it's over there. It's over in your life. You say, but it's still sitting there. It's still looking at me. It's got its arms crossed. It's looking me right in the face. It's meeting me at the water cooler every day, Pastor Rob. Yes, all the evidence is still there. But you need to declare that God said it was over when I said it was over. That's point one. Okay, let's go to point two. Incorporate the two D's incorporate the two D's. Now, I actually had three D's, but I knew I'd run out of time, so I'm skipping D3. And if you want to get that, you can email me. I'll send it to you. Let me just do the two D's here, okay? Now, he goes to Samuel, and he says to him in verses 1 to 5, he says, now I want you to go anoint for me David, another king. Samuel says, you want me to go and anoint another king while Saul is still sitting on the throne? Wouldn't it be better if he just... Have Saul pass away now, and then I'll go get the king. Seems like it'd be a lot more politically safe for me than to do it while Saul is still alive. So you want me to anoint another king while Saul is still sitting on the throne? 
You want me to walk right past the king and anoint my future. You want me to anoint my future while my past is still sitting on the throne. You want me to operate in the realm of the Spirit while my old part of me is still sitting where it was looking me in the face? You want me to call out things that are not as though they are? You want me to walk in my healing while my back is killing me? You want the poor to say I am rich? In order to get what God has for you, you live between two worlds. You live between two worlds. In one world, you're a saint. You're a saint. Sanctified and a saint before God. That's the one world you're in. You're there right now. You are a saint sanctified before God. In the other world, though, you are no longer a sinner, but you don't feel quite like a saint either. So, I'm a saint with the same sinner's problems. I'm a saint with the same sinner's problems. What God says is, what I have rejected may still be sitting there, but what I have appointed is coming for you. So the question is, how do I handle what was in the face of what is? What was in the face of what is? Let me give you these Ds, okay? Here's the first one. This is, this is very wise from this text. Number one, use discretion. Use discretion. Verse 2, but Samuel said, how can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. Now he's telling God this. This is a funny thing to tell God. He'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Just think about this for a minute. Use discretion. Saul's done, but he doesn't know it. But Samuel, you don't have to tell him that. You don't have to tell him that. A lot of people lose the opportunity to step into their future because they give out too much information to their past. They don't use discretion. They're not discreet in the way they handle their past. You can't, I know you can't run up to Saul's face and say, I'm getting to, ready to anoint your replacement. That'd be pretty dumb. And so the truth is you need a season of discreetness. You can't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's in the Bible. You can't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What do you mean? Don't draw attention to some things in your life. That's what it means. Don't draw attention to it. In other words, there's a reason you took so much turbulence in your life. It's because you talk too much. You say too much. You're not discreet in what you talk about. You've got to be discreet is what he's saying. So God told Samuel what he's supposed to tell Saul. He gave him a cover story, a political cover story. He said, I'll tell you what to say. 
Just tell them you're going to sacrifice. You're going to worship. Get a heifer, sacrifice the cow, and then anoint who I want you to anoint. That's your cover story. That's all you got to say. You don't have to tell them everything. You don't have to tell them everything you know, everything I told you, the vision I gave you, the dream I put in your heart, what I'm going to do with your future. He doesn't have to know that. God doesn't have to know all that God's going to do in your life. Everybody doesn't need to know that. Be wise. Be discreet. Lord said, I'll tell you what to say. There's a good application for this. If you're in a tough place right now between what used to be and what is, or what is about to be, just ask the Lord. Lord, tell me what to say. Give me discretion. If you're not quite in and you're not quite out, just, just tell the Lord. T tell me what you want me to say. I need some discretion here. Be discreet. There's some wisdom there in your life. Okay, number two, let me give you the second D. Use discernment. Use discernment. I love this one the best. Verse 6. When Samuel entered in and looked at Eliab, that's the oldest brother, oldest son, Samuel thought to himself, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. This is the guy. And God says, come over here, Samuel. Listen to me. The very thing you're doing right now is why we're in the mess we're in. That's how they picked Saul. That's how they picked Saul. He was the tallest. He was the most good looking. He was the most manageable. He was so suave. He knew how to handle people. He's politically correct. He knew everything to say. He never offended. He said, that's why we're in the mess we're in. You're doing the same thing the same way the people picked Saul. You're looking at his outward appearance. You're looking at the tall guy. You're looking at the guy who's got it all going for him, and you're missing the fact that I don't look there. I look for the heart. I look deep within. Now, I've wrestled over this many times in my life when I've thought about this, but God says I look down into the heart, what people can't see. And you've got to learn to see what people can't see. You've got to have some discernment about you. Do you look for character? No. Wait a minute. Shouldn't a person have character? Yes. But tell me how much character David had in his life. He went to bed with almost every woman he met. How's that for discretion? He went to bed with Michael. He went to bed with Bathsheba. He went to bed with Abigail. He went to bed with Mesha. He went to bed with Ionom. And the Bible says, and other wives and concubines, because they couldn't even give the list out. That's always puzzled me. Yet the Bible says that Saul is losing his kingdom and he's going to give it to somebody better than him. David. Saul never went to bed with another woman. He had one wife and he had no concubines. Saul was not immoral like David. But the difference was that Saul had a greedy, self-consumed heart. Why was David better? Saul had a lack 
of repentance. Saul would not repent. He could not repent. He was in denial. Me? Repent? I didn't do anything wrong. He would not own it. He was not broken over it. It did not bother him. Saul never assumed responsibility when he did something wrong. Covered it up, gave excuses, did whatever he could, but he would not admit he did something wrong. And one thing made David better, and only one thing will make you better than all the Saul's of this world. What made David better is you could not beat the guy at repentance. And if God looks down at your heart, He's going to look at the level of repentance you show in your life. You could not beat David at repentance. This is the secret of stepping over into the spiritual realm in your life. This is a secret very few Christians get. David would cry out over his sin to God all the time. Oh, God. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. And renew a right spirit within me. Oh God, incline your ear to me. Oh God, cast me not away from your face. Oh God, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this great wickedness in your sight. Nobody could repent like David. David was a greater sinner than Saul. But more important, David was a greater repenter than Saul. And that's huge with God. That's huge. He'd throw himself in a skinny minute at the mercy of God. And God said, I'll kill Saul and I'll live, let David live. It's an amazing thing. Repentance is a gift of God. It's a work of grace. It's a work of grace in your heart. You get the grace to change. You get the grace to change. God sees to it. That's what God's drawn to. It's beautiful. But if you get where you're not convicted about stuff in your life, the truth of the matter is that's a dangerous place. There are people that get beyond conviction. They come to this church. They roll up to the church. They come sit down. They say, bring it on, preacher. Give me your best shot. And they know deep in their heart, no matter what I say, they're not going to change. They're going to keep living the same way they're living when they came in here this morning. And they're going to go have lunch with somebody and say, you should have been at church today. You should have heard what he said. It was so good. But they're not going to change. They're going to be the same person they walked in when they came into this church. They keep the image, but they're not going to change. But another guy in worship will come in and he'll listen to this message, he'll have his head bowed. What he doesn't know is head bowed is a gift. He'll have a tear in his eyes. 
And he doesn't know that's a gift. That's the gift of repentance. It's the opportunity to change. That's all a gift is from God, an opportunity to change. And if you get it, you've got a beautiful gift. He's saying to Samuel, you can't trust your eyes, Samuel. You can't trust your ears, Samuel. You can't even trust your own friends. <laughs> People who got your ear, you can't trust them. You're going to have to use discernment. You're going to have to use discernment, Samuel. You've got to look deeper into people, okay? And when you see the right one, you'll know it, and the oil will flow. Now, fill your horn with oil and go, because you're going to use something spiritual to anoint something natural. Now, the oil in the Bible is the presence of the Holy Spirit. He anoints, He indwells the natural. And you need discernment to determine that in your life. All right, let's go to number three and I'll close it out. All right, number three, pour out a fresh anointing. Pour out a fresh anointing. It says in verse 12, so he went and brought him in. Now David was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome. He looked good. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went to Ramah. He sees David and he says, get the oil. He's it. He's the guy. He's the guy. Let's anoint him. Oil is the representation of the Spirit of God upon him. And the Bible says the Spirit comes on him. Now the Spirit would come and go in those days. In the New Testament, it comes on you permanently. But in the Old Testament, it would come and go. Okay? And it was represented by oil. Now, here's the thing that struck me. He said, don't fill your vessel, don't fill your container, fill your horn. I brought one of those horns they would have used back in that day. This is a horn from actually from a heifer. Some females have horns, okay? Uh, not literally, but, but they do have horns, okay? And so, this is a horn from a heifer. God says, don't put it in a vessel, put it in a heifer's horn, I should have called the message that, the heifer's horn. That would have been a great message, okay. The heifer's horn. Put it in the horn. Why fill a horn? That's what I asked myself. Because a horn has to be cut from the head of a heifer, a female cow. Where'd they get the heifer? Verse 2, he said, take you a heifer and offer a sacrifice. And so he offered a sacrifice before the anointing. And why did that have to happen? Because before the oil can flow, the blood has to flow. The blood has to flow. The blood first, then the oil. That's how God works. Just so you understand. So, before the anointing, the blood of the heifer was poured out so that the horn could be cut off the head of the female heifer so the horn could be filled with oil. Because where there is no blood... There is no oil. Where there is no blood, there is no oil. And the oil has to flow. It has to flow. Fill the horn with oil. Why do you have to fill it? That means you don't have room for anything else. There's no room for hate. There's no room for depression. No room for discouragement. 
You fill that up. You fill it all the way up. And this is why we all need fresh anointings on our life. Because sometimes we get some things in our horn and it gets us off kilter. And we start filling it up with things that don't have the oil in them. And we mix the oil with other stuff. And so sometimes that oil has to be filled up to the brim again. A fresh anointing. I call it a new season. A fresh power. A fresh glory. Fill it up, God. Put it all the way to the top. I can tell I need that on my life. I need your fresh anointing to work in me. Now, I'm, I'm about done here, so let me just kind of tie this together for you. Samuel tried to pour it out on the wrong person. If he had his way, he would have put it on Eliab. And he almost made the wrong man king. God said, he's not the man. He's not the man. And that's a great point and thought to me. If it didn't work out in your life with someone, it wasn't the right person. It wasn't the right person. If something didn't work out in your life, it wasn't supposed to. It wasn't supposed to. The truth of the matter is, stop crying over who would not accept you. God protected you from anointing the wrong person. I don't know how to say this. This is how I thought it through. Have you ever praised him for the people who left you? Have you ever praised him for the job you didn't get? Have you ever praised him for the doors he didn't open? Might have been all wrong for you. But I can tell you this. He's got something better. (laughs) He's got something better. So why don't you just do this this morning? Praise him for something better. Go after better in your life. Because I think that's what God has for you. When the blood flows and then the oil flows and the fresh anointing falls on you, you get a discreetness, you get a discretion, but you get something better. You get something better. Go after better. Let's pray. Just as your heads bowed, eyes closed, praise team's going to come and close us in a song. All I can think right now is a fresh anointing It may be in your life that you've never been anointed at all by the Holy Spirit. Because what you need first is the blood. You need the blood applied to your life, the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on Calvary on a cross for you. And if he gives you the gift of repentance right now, it'll be all over you. You'll say, I need it. I want it. I want the opportunity to change. God wants to pour his blood over you. Not in a literal way. But in a way that you understand spiritually. That you have to be covered by the blood. You have to repent. You have to own it. No excuses. You want the free grace of God poured out over you. If you'd receive him today and just say, Jesus, save me. He'll save you. He'll save you. And by the way, 
If, if you make that decision right now, I want to know. Let me know. You can let me know through that QR code. You can let me know through a card that you can fill out. You can just let me know some way. You can email me. But let me know. We want to help you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Especially if God's given you an opportunity to change right now. Now, you may be here and you may be saved. And God's speaking to you. He's given you an opportunity to change. God, I want a fresh anointing. Thank you for the opportunity again. My heart's open. That's your prayer today. Seek God for that fresh anointing. Lord, I lift up each in this room where you want to anoint again in a fresh kind of way. It push out the discouragement, the depression, push out the hostility, and it just be filled up with you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its truth to guide us. I lay it before you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Praise team is going to sing. God's been speaking to you in a personal way. I invite you to come. The altar's already open. Uh, If you want to come, you come this morning.